Tom Doyle tells the story of Hakim. He's a follower of Jesus living in Syria. A neighbor knocked on Hakim's door wanting to know if Jesus was real. The neighbor said, I hear that Christians pray to Jesus and sometimes he does miracles. Would you come and pray for my daughter? She's 12 years old and she has cancer. And the doctors have said there's nothing they can do. Hakim says, I've never been around anyone that prayed and God did a miracle, let alone me. So he goes to his house, lays his hand on the sweet little Jamila, prays for her, and nothing seems to happen. You're going to want to stay with us to hear the rest of that powerful story. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're going to have an outstanding conversation today, so I'm glad that you are here with us. And I am joined in our studio in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, by Tom and Joanne Doyle. Tom Doyle is the author of a new book called Standing in the Fire. It will release in April. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stories in the book, about why you should pre-order a copy immediately so that it shows up in your mailbox on the very first day. Tom and Joanne, welcome again to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Mm. It's an honor to be with you. Thanks for having us both. Yes, thank you. And it's fun to be here together. Well, we're excited to have you here together. And for those of you who have listened to every episode of VOM Radio, which basically means me and my mom, you've heard Tom and Joanne before. If you didn't hear those episodes, they were outstanding. So you'll want to go back and listen. And I think after you hear them today, you'll definitely want to go back and listen Tom, the book is called Standing in the Fire. What is it? What, is, what, is it, what does that mean? <laughs> what is it, and, and why should we read it? Well, you know, Standing in the Fire harkens back to the Old Testament and the story in Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were willing to stand despite the persecution, wouldn't bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and they were thrown in the fiery furnace. And they remember Nebuchadnezzar looks in and says, wait a minute, there wasn't three, There's now there's four in there. And, and of course, it's the Son of God. It's Jesus who rescues them. And today, there are believers on the front lines that there's no question they should be dead. They should have been dead a long time ago. Former terrorists, former secret police in Syria, uh, um, Muslim imam's wife, and the Lord has kept them alive. So we wrote about killing Christians in our book a couple years ago about those that were willing to die for Jesus. These are willing to die, but the Lord's kept them alive right in the midst of the battle on the front lines. They haven't left their country. So when you hear about the vanishing church in the Middle East, that may look at registered Christians. That could never measure the underground. And I want to talk about that. They haven't left their country. I've met some of the people in these same situations. Every human emotion, every piece of human wisdom says, you have got to get out of there. It is not safe for you. You have got to go someplace safe. They're not doing that. They're staying Talk a little bit about that and why. Why are they staying in Syria, even though yeah. it makes no sense to stay in Syria for a Christian? 
The amazing thing is there's a fire raging around them and they're standing firmly in it. So our, our natural human emotion is to run. That's what I would think. But they're not. And and I think what really grips my heart, Todd, is it's not only men that are doing this, but wives and young children. Can you imagine raising your children in Syria? Well, what if you have a three-year-old? That means that that young little boy or girl has been raised in the war, which now they're calling the worst humanitarian disaster since World War II. I think it'll be since World War I, when it's all over, whenever that is. But they're staying. And the reason they're staying is because, whether it's Syria or Iraq, they believe that Jesus is the answer to their country. That's why they're staying. And they're willing to suffer. That's not a real concern of theirs. They're willing to die. And of course, in Syria, we've seen so many being crucified on crosses, but they are staying. And we're entering a time now as we're getting ready to celebrate Easter Resurrection Sunday. That week, the Passion Week, that we kind of you know, climax with the great Resurrection Day that we get to celebrate in American churches freely, not so much the same kind of situation in a place like Syria and Iraq, where Muslim imams during that week announce we will wash the streets in Christian blood. If, if you want to live like Jesus during this week, you'll die like Jesus. And, and some have been crucified on crosses on Good Friday. That's coming, and they stay in the midst of it. And I think you mentioned children, young children. What future do those children have, again, from a human perspective? You know, what, what's their chance of getting an education? What's their chance of having a, a good life? They, almost none. And yet they say, no, God called us here. God put us here. We're going to stay here as long as God tells us to stay here. Yes, that's going to be a sacrifice for our children. Yes, it's going to be a sacrifice for us. Yes, it's dangerous. We could learn a lot from, from just that willingness, because so often if we're in a tough situation, our first thought is, okay, Lord, get me out of this that's tough right. situation. <laughs> you know, I don't like this job, so Lord, I know you want to find me a new job, a better job where I'll be happy all the time. Instead of, okay, God, what do you have for me to do in this situation? Why did you place me here? Who are you trying to reach? What are you trying to teach me? We could learn a lot from these. Oh, players. and I think Todd, when you, when you're with these people, and we we were just privileged to have 120 leaders come from Syria into Lebanon. We gave them a retreat, got in the Word together, heard their stories. We were just amazed that they stay. And I think about that. It's not just an individual decision; it's a family mm-hmm. decision. And I think of Joanne being a mother of six children. Can you imagine living in Aleppo when we raised our children? Can can you imagine that? I can't. And the amazing thing was when many of these couples came to Lebanon for this retreat, a lot of them brought their younger children, but they left most of their children back in Syria in the middle of a war. Wow. Now, they were staying with grandparents or right. aunts or uncles or whatever, but they were still going to school. And they went to another country while their children remained in a war-torn country because they realized their children to, are given to them by God, but on loan. Yeah. And so they're, they just think with a different mindset than we do. Their, their thoughts are not all about comfort and safety. We're talking today with Tom and Joanne Doyle. Tom is the author of Standing in the Fire, a new book, which I want to encourage you to order. Tom, 
tell me one of the stories from the book or, or introduce me to one of the people that we're going to meet as we read through Standing in the Fire. Well, you know, in one chapter called Just the Usual Damascus Death Threat, <laughs> <laughs> Hakeem <laughs> is a man that lives in Damascus and he's followed by the secret police. His house is bugged. He knows it. But God calls him a few years ago to go live in southwest Syria. So that's close to the border of Israel. There's mountains there, and the Druze live there. So it's the Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, not the Jews. <laughs> They're on the other side of the fence, right? So it's the Druze. Talk a little bit. Who are the Druze? Yeah. What do they believe? So that's a split-off religion from Islam centuries ago. And they actually believe that one of the men in the Druze community will, will bear their Messiah figure, the Mahdi, and will give birth unexpectedly to their version of the Messiah. Uh, it's a very secretive religion. Most people don't learn anything about it. And then the men are taught about the religion when they hit 30, but many people don't even know what it means, but they're born into uh -huh. it. And so split off religion from Islam, some ways similar, some ways different. But Hakim goes there because, as far as everybody knows, there's never been a Druze in Syria come to faith in Jesus. Zero. Zero. Wow. They, they, they've looked for centuries. They can't find evidence of any. Maybe someone did privately. We don't know. That could happen. So they're unengaged. Nobody's working with them. Unreached. No believers. And he goes there with his family, lives right in the midst of those mountains with the Druze, and he is reaching out, prayer walking. He sings through the village's praises, and after a year, nothing happens. Zero. He knows that God called his family, and there was quite a bit of risk because if a Druze does come to faith in Christ, not only is that person probably going to be killed, but the person that led them to faith is 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 going to be killed too. But he goes, and they're praying. Nothing. He's on his face. He's doing FaceTime every day, and FaceTime is not what <laughs> Apple invented or the iPhone. On the face, because they were desperate. Nothing happens. He kept praying, Lord, Muslims are having dreams. How about a dream? Send him a dream. Nothing happens until one day there's a knock on the door, and he opens the door, and there's a Druze man with his wife, and he said, I hear that Christians pray to Jesus, and sometimes he does miracles. Would you come and pray for my daughter? And he said, well, yes. And what's the matter? She's 12 years old and she has cancer. And the doctors have said there's nothing they can do for her. Okay, so just to set the stage, Hakeem says, I've seen what Jesus did in the New Testament. I hear about it today. I've never been around anyone that prayed and God did a miracle, let alone me. Right. But here's this man asking, I got to go. So he goes to his house, lays his hand on the sweet little Jamila, prays for her, he's laying on the couch, and nothing seems to happen. And the man thanked him, and his wife thanked him. They had him stay for lunch. Thank you. You have great faith, and pray that God answers your prayers. He, on the way back, just feels sort of let down. Lord, here was the chance. Right. This was the breakthrough. Nothing if she would have hopped up off the couch, that whole family would have come yes. to you, Lord. Why didn't you do it like that way? Jesus, little girl arise, you know, and it didn't happen. Well, a week later, they take her in for her checkup in Damascus, and the doctors are huddling. They decide to keep her overnight because they're finding some things that are puzzling them. The family thinks it's gotten worse as that's they see never, the doctors. That's confirming. never good news. We need to run more tests. That's right. That's, that's not a good thing. But then the next day, the doctors come in and they're shocked. They have their clipboards and they say, uh, 
We don't know what happened. But your daughter has no trace of cancer. Wow. There's no cancer. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. She's fine. There's nothing there. We don't, we've run all the tests we can. Well, nobody tells Hakeem what's going on. The family mm-hmm. comes back another day later, knock on the door, and he opens the door, and there's 50 Druze waiting for him to pray <laughs> for their healing. And he says, why are you asking me? And the little girl comes running and jumps in his arms. She had been healed and the family was there. Mm -hmm. And they were just overwhelmed at what God had done. And so they invited their friends to come to to be prayed over. And God started moving. He'd never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. He's the most humble man you would meet. And I think in my background, Todd, so many times we think about healing and you think of people on maybe TV programs and that. This is a, whenever you ask Hakeem about this, he puts his head down and just gives glory to the Lord. Yeah. He's as yes. surprised it's as like, anyone else. I don't else. know how this happened. Right. <laughs> and God started moving. He got a spiral notebook and started recording him. And the last time I looked at that notebook, there were over 90 recordings of wow. healings. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we're talking about cancer. We're talking about heart disease. Brain Someone tumors. in a wheelchair, a brain to brain tumors. That not small things like post-nasal drip. <laughs> I always say, you know, big things. Mm-hmm. And God ignited a movement there and it took off. And now there's over two thousand Druze believers. And they are on fire, Todd. They they are they have sent missionaries to Saudi Arabia. Wow. They've sent missionaries to Brazil. It's gone into third and fourth and fifth generation, mm-hmm. and, and God has done something. It's a miracle. It's a miracle, obviously, but it started with one miracle. One guy mm-hmm. who's willing to go and willing to continue on when there's no apparent progress. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Lord, there's no fruit here. Well, what's, you know, how long do I have to stay here? Yeah. Then the breakthrough comes after a lot of prayer. Mm-hmm. And I think the amazing Absolutely. thing is there were so many times— he was ready to check it out. I, I must have heard wrong. But there was his wife, Lena, just encouraging him, praying, walking those villages, praying, God's going to do something. The whole family stood in agreement, and it happened. And it's a joy. And we were privileged to be there and meet some of the Druze. We were privileged to hear some of their worship. A young boy that started doing Drew's worship. It's unique to their culture. And boy, do they lift up Jesus. Do they ever have a passion? But of course, you know, because we're at Voice of the Martyrs, you know this well, where there's a harvest, there's persecution. It always breaks out. They're like identical twins growing together. They've suffered greatly. And and is that True in the Druze context, as like we would think in a Muslim context, where if someone comes to faith, almost instantly yes. there's going to be pushback? Yes. What does that look like? Tremendous blowback. Legally, according to the religion, that person can be killed, and the one that proselytizes, is what they call it, should be killed too. So it's it's miraculous. We talk about individuals standing in the fire. This is a whole people group right. standing in the fire that God has protected— and has protected this this baby church that's growing by leaps and bounds from people being massively killed. It could have happened. It hasn't happened. And then when the 50 are praying, their chasm, her, her father, Jamila's father, is yelling to the 50 people that are standing in line with Kareem, you must pray and believe in Jesus' name. 
And then he looks at Hakeem and says, is it okay if I say that? And he, you can say that all you like, you know. But they saw that from the get-go, that it, it was different. It right. was Jesus, the one, he's the one that made the difference in all that. It was his name. It was That's his right. power. It was Jesus. And so then when you have that chain reaction where more people are having these miracles, it's like that not only validates it, but that encourages them to, to stand strong. It gives them the, the faith. When we are weak, then we are strong, right, in his strength. So. Yeah. yeah. Even a woman that had an issue of blood, and that goes back to yeah, the, the New, New Testament, Testament, prayed over, healed. God did it. Jesus just wow. wanted to touch them. And it started really a revolution among those mm-hmm. people. Joanne, you work among women in that part of the world. Yes. What what are the unique things that God is doing? And I think particularly of Muslim women mm-hmm. because they have many challenges in their culture. They don't have status. They often are not valued. How is God working in that to bring people to Jesus? Well, one thing that I see happening with the women is that he is giving them a voice, that when they realize their value in Christ, that they are equal to all other human beings, boy, that just that elevation of their biblical place, you know, truly in their heart when that's recognized, then they don't have the same fear that they had before. And their voices are heard, and they're willing to use that voice to to say, the deepest things in their heart, which is Jesus is the answer. Boy, we met some of these women that we met in Lebanon that are living in Syria. They are also leaders, which is kind of an oxymoron. Where do you see a a woman leader in a Muslim culture, right? But I am seeing these young girls that are in their 20s, late 20s, early 30s, they're different than the women that are older. You know, they have a courageous faith. Wow. In fact, um, after they left us, one of the young women went back and she had a youth meeting and she was reaching out to all the, there's a lot of refugees in Syria. They're mm-hmm. living yeah. on the streets because their homes have been destroyed, as you know. And so she was gathering all of those young people, school age, high school, middle school, and um, sharing the love of Jesus with them. And in one meeting, she said they, they had like 30 veiled Muslim young girls come to faith in Christ. So if she can teach them at a young age their value and that they do not have to be afraid and that they can have a new life in Christ, oh my goodness, if they can learn that young and then they grow up in that, that's going to change their culture when this war finally does end. We can change an entire country. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. And I just love that when you think about being in that male-dominated, male-honored society when it comes to that Drew's miracle he heals a little girl. A girl. I just love that. Not a boy, yeah. a girl. What does yeah. that do for the women to see how much mm-hmm. he loves them? One of the things that, that you finish up with in the book is some some ways for American Christians to respond. Uh, and I think one of the challenges, and we hear these stories all the time of, you know, these people who are being beaten and shot at and they're just praising the Lord and they're excited and you feel like, man— I hardly even know if I'm a Christian after hearing that story because nobody's shooting at me, nobody's yeah. beating me. So what you know, what do I do with that? How does that how did how do I translate that into yeah. my comfortable American life? You answer that at the close of this book. And I want us to talk a little bit about that because most of our listeners, that's their that's their circumstance. You know, they live in America and they're comfortable and they go to church on mm-hmm. Sunday and nobody beats them up yeah. when they come out the door and nobody's threatening to burn down their house. So what do they do with these stories on a practical yeah. level to make it a part of their spiritual walk? Well, you know, we said three things at the close of the book. One, choose what voice you listen to. Two, let faith be your filter. And then thirdly, 
get involved. We cannot sit back and just watch the body of Christ being beaten up all over the world and do nothing about it. Let's unpack those a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Choose the voice you're going to listen to. Tell me, what does that mean? Yeah. And so I think it's easy for Christians in America to get their worldview from the news. So no matter who you watch, whether it's conservative, middle of the road, liberal, there's a narrative that's being explained. And Christians need to be careful not to get their worldview from that. So in a sense, it should not shock us. The church in the Middle East is the fastest growing church per capita in the world. What did Jesus say? Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, not going to stop it. Not even close. Has no power to stop the progress of the kingdom of God, his church. And so when it comes to uh, choose what voice you listen to, I learned that clearly in Jerash, Jordan one time. We were in a church service. We were doing some training. It was an above-ground church right next door to a mosque. I mean, it couldn't have been 30 feet, and there's a mosque. As soon as we started the prayer, the man comes over the mosque, and just started blasting and didn't stop. And the prayer goes on. We start the training, and I'm doing something I said to the pastor. I can't believe this. How do you— How, how long is that guy going to pray? How long he <laughs> said, he's going to do that the whole time we're here. And I said, that's not the call to prayer. And he goes, oh, he does the call to prayer. Anytime we meet as a church, he gets up there and tries to disrupt it. And I said, why don't you move? Can you just take the <laughs> church and move somewhere else? That's the American way, right? And he right. goes, why should we? We want him to hear what we're saying. Wow. We want to stay here. And he said, we've learned to block out the noise. You can choose what you listen to. And I thought, oh, oh wow. my gosh. <laughs> and you know, I got a little experience at it, Todd, at the end, kind of just able to compartmentalize that, put it over there, and just focus on the worship, the speaking. That's how they live. And I thought that couldn't be a clearer message for us in America. We're listening to the wrong voice. Mm -hmm. we're, we're building everything we believe off the news, which is for, is run by the entertainment industry. Right. We wouldn't say that we're going to form our view of life by what everything Hollywood says. But you know what? Hollywood runs those. It's the entertainment industry. The job of a news producer is to sell eyeballs to advertisers. It That's is right. not to give you information, mm -hmm. factual right. or unfactual or otherwise. That's so right. when we, like you say, when we develop our whole worldview off of this product that is created to draw our eyeballs, we're on shaky ground. We are. <laughs> we're listening to the wrong voice every single time. So we need to get into the Bible. We need to, I would encourage anyone that isn't on the Voice of the Martyrs mailing list or g mm -hmm. getting these podcasts, yes. you've got to do it. You've got to hear these stories about what God's doing. That's number one. Number two is let faith be your filter. And I think uh, because in America it's easy to worship the gods, the two twin idols, I call them the gods of comfort and safety, it's easy when we hear something negative, something, a terrorist attack in America or something politically, and we're so polarized there, or economic problems or healthcare or whatever, to think negatively, oh my gosh, here we go with this. Faith has got to be our filter. Everything goes through that faith. Can you imagine living in Syria or Iraq and digesting even just a part of the news, all the negative things. I I mean, as we were getting ready for the election, I was talking to Fareed, who we talk about in Killing Christians and also in this book. 
And I said, here, we're having an election. It's amazing in America. There's got two candidates that, boy, America's polarized and they're very unpopular with either <laughs> side. And I don't know what's going to happen. And he said, well, you could live in Syria. We either get Bashar Assad or the Islamic State. You know? <laughs> but they don't worry about that. They trust that God put them in the midst of that. And so what am I going to do about it? So our first filter has got to be faith, not worry. We've got to say... Okay, Lord, you put me here. What can I learn from this? How can you use me? I'm not going to run. I'm going to stand in the fire. I'm not going to run. And so that's secondly. And then third is to obviously get involved. And not only can we be praying, and every believer, I'm convinced, needs to be praying for brothers and sisters around the world that are in harm's way, those that are in prison, persecution, and danger. And decades ago, before it was on anybody's radar, Voice of the Martyrs was doing this, educating a generation, and that generation has grown up, and now their kids and grandkids are being educated. And the interesting thing about their grandkids is they're not only being educated and praying, they want to go. They want to go right into the heart of it. They want to go into those dangerous places. Our generation, Todd, <laughs> wants to rough it by staying at the Hilton or something in one of the major cities. <laughs> this young generation wants to go to the villages, and they want to reach the unengaged people groups. They, they, they don't have that fear factor residing in them. Their parents might think they don't have the smart factor <laughs> residing, but yet there's got to be a, a blend there. And so we can do that. We can not only pray, but we can go and and work with them. And, and some of the people that you read about in this book, we have them do talks. We meet with them in the Middle East. And some place, times we even have teams work with them, and they are so enriched in their faith. Their faith is just elevated being with them and seeing what simple people they are but how driven they are and faithful to stay and stand in that fire. And I know one of your passions is to train Americans even here. We don't necessarily have to go get on a plane to meet Muslims. There's a lot of Muslims That's in America. Right. Uh, so I want to encourage people. We talked about that in our previous interview. Come to VOMRadio.net. Search for Tom Doyle. Search for Joanne Doyle. You will find those interviews because we talk a lot about Americans reaching Muslims right here. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have memorized the entire New Testament. You don't have to be ready to debate for five hours the Quran versus the New Testament or Muhammad versus Jesus. You just got to open a conversation mm-hmm. and start to build a relationship. Uh, and they talk about that extensively in those other interviews. So again, vomradio.net. Search for Tom Doyle, Joanne Doyle. Hear about reaching Muslims right here in America. You can be a part of that, and and it's not hard. It's just a matter of being intentional and reaching out. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Tom Doyle and Joanne Doyle. Tom is the author of Standing in the Fire. Tom, what's the release date on the book? It's April 11th, and okay. people are pre-ordering now, and we heard that one of the outlets is even starting to send out books, so we're right on Oh, that. awesome. Good, good, good. So I want to encourage you. We will provide you with a link to Amazon at vomradio.net, uh, but the, whatever your local bookseller is, pre-order a copy of Standing in the Fire. Uh, For those of you who don't know the book business, those pre-orders are important because they all get tallied that first week of sales. And so then the booksellers decide, okay, do we need more of this book or or not? So pre-order, it really does make a difference to get the book in front of more people. Tom and Joanne, blessings. I I told my wife last night as we were talking about this, when I grow up, I want to be Tom Doyle. That is is my goal. So... 
it's oh, great goodness. to have you guys here and uh, just thank you for sharing and for your passion. And I encourage people again, buy the book. You will be challenged. You will be encouraged. Tom and Joanne Doyle, thanks for being with us today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Oh, thank oh, you so much, thank Todd. You. It's thank you. It's such a pleasure. As always, you can hear this interview again at vomradio.net. You can also find the other conversations we've had with Tom and Joanne. So I encourage you, check us out online, vomradio.net. At nine years old, Leanna learned to fly an airplane. She was designing houses at age 14. And a couple of years later, she won a national equestrian championship. But as a teenager, Leanna had a dream and she realized God had something different for her to pursue in life than any of those interests. His call led her to India. And we'll hear the story next week, right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.